O Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. But Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit now so that we may see clearly with your word, so that our feet are guided into paths of peace and righteousness that walk to that glorious home that we look forward to with such expectant hope. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we continue our series this morning in 1 Samuel, and particularly Saul's kingship. Saul has been uh, chosen by God to be the first king of Israel, and this morning we see uh, that the people learn who their first king is going to be. And so we see this kingship ceremony that takes place as uh, Saul comes uh, with the people, and, uh, and Samuel uh, declares him to be king over the Israelites. And it's interesting when we look at Saul that he doesn't start off too well in many respects. You see that he's hiding amongst the baggage when they're looking for who is going to be king. Uh, And then there's some people that even despise him. Yes, he's a head taller than everybody else and he looks pretty good, but there are some people who despise him. And we saw that in verse uh, 27 of 1 Samuel chapter 10. But some troublemakers said, how can this fellow save us? And they despised him and brought him no gifts. So it's not as though he has risen to the throne uh, on a a good note to begin with. Yes, he has got Samuel the prophet's approval and therefore God's approval to be the first king of Israel. But there are some people who are a bit concerned about him and whether he really will be the king that they so desperately want. But then we see King Saul rise to his first challenge. And what is that challenge? Well, it's the challenge of the Ammonites. The Ammonite king Nahash comes to the people of Jabesh-Gilead, one of the remote towns of Israel across the Jordan, and wants to bring disgrace upon the people of Israel, particularly by that horrible um, idea of gouging out the right eye of every man. We see that in verse uh, 2 of chapter 11. But Nahash the Ammonite replied, I'll make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you. And so bring what? disgrace on Israel. It's a horrible thing to disfigure someone in such a way and it particularly cripples any fighting men uh, from being able to fight as well in battle in the future. And so it's a disgraceful thing that Nahash wants to do to the Israelites. And so what happens to Saul? What does Saul do in this first challenge that he has to the Israelites as king? Well, we see that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Saul. Now, the Spirit of the Lord has come upon Saul previously so that he even prophesied, and we saw that back in verse 10 of chapter 10 when we looked at it together. In verse 10 of chapter 10, it says, When they arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him, that's Saul. The Spirit of God came upon Saul in power, and he joined in their prophesying. So the Spirit of the Lord had enabled, given power to Saul to prophesy, So people were even concerned, is is Saul one of the prophets? People were asking, what does the Spirit of the Lord do to Saul as he hears of this horrible uh, intention of Nahash? Well, we read in verse 6 what the Spirit of the Lord does. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came upon him in power and he burned with anger. What does the Spirit of the Lord do to Saul here? He makes him very angry. And literally in the Hebrew it would be, anger burned greatly. His anger burned greatly. There's a strong emphasis on how, how furious Saul was to hear of this enemy wanting to bring such disgrace upon Israelites by gouging out the eyes. 
And what is the result then of the king's anger? What is the result of the king's anger as the spirit of the Lord comes upon the king? Well, there's two outcomes. There's two outcomes that happen. One is that God's people swear allegiance to Saul. They swear allegiance to the king and obey him. And we see that in verse 7. So the anger comes upon him in verse 6. And then verse 7, what do we read? He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. And then what do we see as the outcome of this anger? Then the terror of the Lord, or you could translate that dread of the Lord, fell on the people and they turned out as one man. In the face of the king's anger, what happens? The Israelites swear allegiance to the king of Israel, to God's appointed king. And they turn out as one man. They see the anger of the king and they feel the dread of the Lord come upon them. And so that actually unites them. Very interesting that they're united in the face of anger. That's one outcome. What's the other outcome from the king's anger? It's that God's enemies are destroyed. And we see that in verse 12, or verse 11, sorry, verse 11 of chapter 11. It says, The next day Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and they slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. All the people in this story end up in two camps, two outcomes, two results. Either they swear allegiance to the king and unite together with him in the face of his anger, or they are destroyed by his anger. And so once again, as we've been studying Samuel, we see a shadow in Saul of the true king of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see again and again that Saul is a shadow of the true king of Israel. How so? How do we see a shadow here of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I think it's helpful for us, particularly as we come to the Christmas Time where at Christmas time we often picture baby Jesus in the manger, gentle, meek, and mild, no crying he makes. We see this very gentle king of Israel. But Jesus did not remain a baby in a manger. He grew up and he was a king of great anger. There are a number of occasions where we see the anger of the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly when he sees his people being disgraced in particular ways. And one of those was the passage that we had read for us from John chapter 2. The King Jesus is there at the house of God and he sees the temple being abused, that disgrace is coming on God's people as they use the Lord's temple as a marketplace. And what do we read? Well, he makes a whip and he drives people from it and a fulfillment is even made by his disciples to that psalm where it says, zeal for your house will consume me. He is so zealous, so angry about what is going on in the temple of the Lord that zeal for that house would consume him. And it's consuming him there as he's got that whip. But it's very interesting, that text, and how ultimately it did consume him. Why was Jesus put to death on the cross? Why was he consumed at the cross? Well, part of the reason was because of the way that he acted with the temple. That he, and he said, I will destroy this temple and you will raise it again in three days. And people were angry about this idea that he would destroy their temple. His actions there really triggered 
uh, the, the consequences that came through from the religious leaders to put him to death. So we see his anger there. But there's other times where the Lord Jesus is angry. And one of those passages is uh, when he confronts the religious leaders themselves uh, in Matthew chapter 23. Turn with me there now, Matthew chapter 23, page 981. Matthew 23, and I won't read the whole of the chapter, uh, but you could this afternoon if you like, and, uh, and see the anger of the Lord Jesus coming through there to leaders who are bringing disgrace upon his people by their leadership. They're leading people astray instead of to the Lord's ways. Look with me at verse 13 of chapter 23 of Matthew's Gospel, page 981, and see the Lord's anger here. He is not the gentle baby in the manger anymore. Verse 13, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And he continues, and you can read it this afternoon, and see the anger that the Lord Jesus has towards these religious leaders who are bringing disgrace upon God's people but not teaching them rightly from the word and teaching them rules made by men. When else do we see the Lord angry? Well, we can see his anger in in different ways at the cross. When he goes to the cross, we see that Jesus did battle with sin and Satan, which, of course, are two things that love to bring disgrace upon God's people. Sin brings disgrace upon God's people, and Satan loves to bring disgrace upon God's people. But we understand that Jesus did battle at the cross with Satan. And that was predicted many years earlier in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush, he's speaking to Satan here, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And that's what Jesus did at the cross. He crushed Satan's head. And 1 John 3, verse 8 reminds us that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus was angry with the work of Satan. And then, of course, we know that the Lord Jesus one day will show his anger as king over Israel when he returns. He will return to come and strike the nations who have attacked his people. And I read this recently with you, but we'll read it again. Uh, Revelation chapter 19, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. where the Apostle John sees, verse 11 of chapter 19 of Revelation, it's page 1,229 if you have a church Bible, 1,229, and see the anger of the Lord Jesus here to those nations who attack his people like the Ammonites tried to so many years ago. Chapter 19, verse 11, page 1,229. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike 
down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See the Spirit's work upon the Lord Jesus, the rightful King of Israel. He is there and he is furious with those nations who have attacked his kingdom. And so in the face of the wrath of King Jesus... There are really only two possible outcomes. We saw that in the shadow of the King Jesus in King Saul. He gets very angry. He burns with anger. And there's two outcomes for people. One is swear allegiance to the King of Israel. Second outcome is you are destroyed by the wrath of the King of Israel. So what is the outcome for you this morning? I've shown you the fury of the Lord Jesus Christ with those who bring disgrace upon his people and attack his kingdom. Are you going to swear allegiance to the King of Israel, to King Jesus as he fights his enemies? Or are you going to remain one of Christ's enemies and be destroyed by his wrath? There's no sitting on the fence. Do you realise if you're not with Jesus, you're against him? And I'm not here this morning to make Jesus more palatable to you. I'm here to give you an ultimatum. Either you're with Jesus or you're against him and will be destroyed by his wrath. If you're in opposition to God's people, may the terror of the Lord, the dread of the Lord fall upon you right now and realize what you are doing to the King of kings and Lord of lords, where you stand with him. And may you come to him and swear allegiance now. Do not delay. Don't delay any longer. Jesus is gracious and kind to all who come to him in fear. And we even see a little shadow of that in King Saul many years ago. What happened after they defeated the Ammonites? Well, people wanted to put to death the Israelites who resisted King Saul at first. And he said, no one will die today. And that is how the Lord Jesus stands at the moment. To those who come to him, he is willing to show mercy and kindness. No matter how many times you have attacked him before and ignored his wrath, he is willing to grant forgiveness to you if you will come to him now. He says in John chapter 6, verse 37, Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Now is the day of salvation. See the wrath of Jesus. And see the wrath that is to come if you remain an enemy of him. And flee to him and ask for forgiveness and he will grant it. If you repent of your sins and say sorry for what you've done and ask for forgiveness and trust that he died in your place at the cross so many years ago as he did battle with sin and Satan there, that he was doing battle for you, then you will be forgiven and be able to rejoice with him in this world and in the world to come. But if you are a Christian and you've sworn allegiance to Christ many years ago, then I think there's something helpful for us in this passage as well in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and 11. I think we can be particularly encouraged that we never have to worry too much about our enemies. We never have to worry too much about our enemies. There are many in this world who try to bring disgrace upon us. What ways? Well, the kinds of things that they love to say of Christians. They love to bring disgrace upon us. The words bigots and haters and intolerant continue to be used against Christians all the time. And they're disgraceful words. No one wants to be called a bigot. No one wants to be called a hater. No one wants to be called intolerant. 
for those are the words that are said to us to bring disgrace upon us. And atrocious things are done to Christians just because they're Christians. If you don't believe me, read some Christian news from around the world and the things that are done to those who affirm the name of Jesus Christ. There are people who are wanting to do much more than gouge out right eyes literally from people. They're wanting to destroy those who swear allegiance to Christ. And those are just the enemies who are flesh and blood. They're not our real enemies. What does the Apostle Paul say in Ephesians chapter 6? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Satan and his evil forces want to do far more than gouge out your right eye literally. They want to send you to the fires of hell and be condemned for all eternity. They want you to be judged unholy for all eternity. They are your real enemies. And Satan often incites people in this world to attack us and they're just instruments in his hands. Our real battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against Satan and the forces of evil in the heavenly realms and the people of this world when they attack us and call us bigots and haters they're just in his hands just in satan's hands as instruments against us so do you know disgrace from god's enemies maybe you don't notice too much disgrace coming at you maybe you don't have many enemies against you because you are a christian maybe i'm more conscious of such attacks as an obvious representative of christ in the world i had another pastor tell me recently when people are upset they get angry with god and the best way that they can see to take it out on God is to go after the most obvious representative in this world and that is the church pastor and so he feels that often when people are very upset about something they go after him and they'll find something to be angry about with the pastor because they are angry with God for what is happening in their life and you see the targeting of pastors all too easily you see it overseas who do they come for first the secret police in some of these nations they come for the pastors of the churches But I'm sure we've all experienced attacks from those who want to bring disgrace upon God's people when they're just going about the Lord's work. We know the pain and discouragement that come from people because we're just simply wanting to affirm the Lord Jesus Christ as king and follow his ways. But remember what we can learn from 1 Samuel, that we don't need to worry too much about our enemies who may even want to gouge out our eye maybe physically, but at least uh, figuratively, they want to bring disgrace upon us. Why? Why can we not worry too much about it? Because our enemies have bigger problems. They have a far bigger problem than anything that we can bring upon them as they try to bring disgrace upon us. What's the bigger problem that our enemies face as they try to attack us for simply going about the Lord's work? They have to face a king who burns with righteous anger whose wrath is kindled greatly against those who are evildoers and is kindled by the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him. The Lord Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit kindling anger against those who would disgrace his people, which means God's people can have a sense of peace even in times of great persecution. They can even have a joy as they go through it and treat their enemies in the way that they're instructed to do by the scriptures because they know the wrath of Jesus is coming upon them. And even work through a passage like Romans 
Romans 12 and be able to treat people the way that Romans 12 instructs us. Turn with me now to page 1,123, 1,123, Romans chapter 12, and we'll read from verse 14. Romans chapter 12, verse 14, page 1,123, where the Apostle Paul, speaking by the Spirit of God, tells us how to treat our enemies, those who would persecute us. And what does he say to do in verse 14? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave rooms, room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Christians can do this. Why can they do this? Why can they be kind to those that are attacking them? Those who are trying to bring disgrace upon them? You say it's so hard. How can I do what the Apostle Paul instructs me to do in verse 12? Don't you know my enemies? They deserve pain, pain, pain. As much as I can inflict upon them. But you know why we can say that? Why we can do that? Why, we, why do we want to say that people should deserve pain when they bring disgrace upon us. It's because we don't properly understand the king's anger. We don't understand how furious Christ is against those who would attack his people. If we truly understand the king's anger, if we know how furious Jesus is toward evildoers, we understand the fury in his eye, we understand the iron scepter that he wields, we understand the eternal fire of hell, we understand that people will be gnawing their tongues out in agony as punishment for what they've done against God's kingdom, then we will do everything we can to save people from that anger. We will have compassion and love for those who bring disgrace upon us because we don't want to see them hit with that iron scepter for all of eternity. You know what we'll even pray for our enemies, those who attack us in dreadful ways? We will pray for them, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. They do not know that they are arousing the king's anger by what they do. Jesus prayed that. King Jesus prayed that. Why was King Jesus able to pray, forgive them for they know not what they do while he hung there on the cross? Well, there's many reasons. But one is not that he knew the anger of God that would come upon those people who were crucifying him as he hung there. He knew the anger of God all too well. Why? Because he just experienced the wrath of God poured out upon him as he hung there. He was immediately experiencing it. And he did not want to see that come upon the people that were persecuting him, bringing disgrace upon the king of Israel there. And so he prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yes, Jesus is a wrathful king. But he's also a king of love and mercy and compassion and grace 
for his enemies, even for his enemies. And so may we be like our king. How? May the spirit of the Lord come upon us so we understand the wrath of God against evildoers, against those who would bring disgrace upon our work. But may the Spirit of the Lord come upon us also so that we have compassion. As we see the anger of God, may we then have compassion for those people who are going to be objects of his wrath if we don't do something about it and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ and overcome evil with good. May we be the ones who beg King Jesus to give a holy terror to such people so that they come to him in repentance and swear allegiance to him, and unite with us as one man, as people who love the Lord Jesus. Let's come before him in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Lord Jesus, we praise you as our king, and we praise you that you do not let disgrace come upon your people eternally, but your anger burns greatly to punish evildoers. But we also thank you, Lord Jesus, for the compassion that you've had on us, that the terror of the Lord has fallen on us and we've run to you and received forgiveness of sins. But Lord, we ask that you would continue to help us to understand your wrath, how furious you are against evil. And Lord, we pray that that would help us to pray for even the worst of our enemies, that you would forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.